Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps Episode 7, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's Top 100 Films of All Time and give our thoughts along the way. This episode is dedicated to Deer Hunter, the Academy Award-winning American war drama, specifically related to the Vietnam War. Released in 1978 and directed by Michael Camino, this film stars Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and John Savage in the leading roles. Just like Airplane, this film was chosen to be preserved in the U.S. National Film Registry as being culturally important and or significant. Today I am joined by the lovely Sarah Alexander. Hello. And the ever-so-suave Chris McMullen. Good evening. Well, folks, we just watched Deer Hunter. Do you want to give me your first impressions? I don't want to. Do it. Don't be a baby. I don't want to take your responses. Sarah, what do you think? Honestly, I'm undecided. I thought the acting was awesome. I thought everyone played their part really well, and they conveyed this PTSD after war, very emotional response well. I know it's not a political movie, and they're very clear not to side one way or another about the Vietnam War. I don't care what the creators say. This is absolutely a political movie. I took issue with how they portrayed the Vietnamese people. You mean they're not all savages? Right, you either got their savages in the wilderness shooting each other, or they run brothels and play Russian roulette. Ah, yeah, I feel that. And that was actually some of the criticism levied against the creators when this film was released. Yeah, but I mean, I get at the same time, too, it can't be a movie that looks at the whole war from every available side. The story is just these three soldiers, and we mentioned offline, it's not really about the war, it's about the lives of these three soldiers. And I thought that part was well done. I didn't have any issue with the length. Um, I thought it went by really fast, and I think you needed all three acts to be in there. All right, Chris, before we get into the nitty gritty, what's your hot take? Lay it on me. I hated it so much. (laughs) I actually really like this movie, but only after I sat and thought about it for a little bit. If you had asked me what I thought about the movie about an hour and 10 minutes in, I would have told you it was terrible. I would have called it trash. I would have said it's the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. (laughs) But it's just because the initial setup is so damn long that by the time you get into the meat and potatoes and the message and the anti-American sentiments... You're already bored, but the message itself and what the film is trying to say is really profound and immensely enjoyable. It just takes too long to get there. There's too much buildup. But I think you needed that hour at the chunk and where it shows them getting off work. They're at Stephen's wedding. They go hunting. I think you needed that to really compare it to the third act when Michael comes home just to see how much has changed, how he is no longer able to connect with his friends on the same level that we saw them in the first hour. At the wedding, it just seemed like they were just simple group of friends hanging out they're having a good time we really got that and i thought it was just the juxtaposition in the last hour hammered that home i mean i don't know if it needed to be an hour but i think you needed a longer amount of time to realize just how chris's face just how um their friendship work and the group worked and where they came from it was a three plus hour movie that could have been an hour 30 Well, here's the thing, right? When we were talking about Dr. Zhivago, we were talking about whether or not you needed these extended scenes to really nail home how cold it was or how much these people were really suffering. Because it takes time to build that ambience and that vibe. And while I think this really works in Dr. Zhivago, I do think that the opening act of Deer Hunter doesn't do it to the same level of effectiveness and it comes across as slow and kind of mundane and boring in a sense, which actually kneecaps some of the more important messages that the film is trying to portray, which is really unfortunate. Like this wedding scene is absolutely horrendous. When I was doing a little bit of research, I read that it was supposed to be about 20 to 25 minutes long when they were planning the film, but after they had pieced all the cuts together, it was something like 55 minutes long or something outrageous like that. It was so bad. I thought it went by quick for me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the odd duck here. I was fine with it. 
I'm just looking over my notes. I actually had written the first 45 minutes and then I like scribbled out 45 and put 70. Could have been 20 minutes. <laughs> like that was just, it was painful. How long did you say the wedding was? It was like 50 something minutes. Yeah, like that's a whole freaking movie where nothing happens. I don't know if the whole wedding was 50 I think just the whole first act was 50 because like the deer hunting scene and then the singing after was not 10. The first act was about 70 minutes because when they made that awful, horrendous jump to Southeast Asia. That transition was so good. Oh, come on. It was awful. Oh my God. Okay. So here's the thing, right? You have this slow buildup, right? Like Seven Samurai had where you're just going slow. You're building, 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 building. And instead of the alternative where they go through cadet camp and they're training and there's another slow montage, you just get bam, pow, you're right in the action. (laughs) That's the best way to do it. And Chopin's Nocturne OP 15, number three in G minor is a great way to transition us from this happy-go-lucky fun time to this really somber section of the film. It's the perfect transition. It feels poetic and it's a really meaningful jump. Uh, it was t- it was too sudden. I liked it. <sighs> no, it was perfect. It was the kick in the arse this film needed to get the show on the road. War is sudden, Chris. I didn't like it. If you're going to take 50 minutes to show a wedding with no fucking dialogue. Yeah, the wedding music was just incredibly loud and you couldn't hear any of the characters talking over it. I hated it. And then it. they started playing the Tetris theme, which <laughs> I thought was really weird. Yeah, no. And then like the pieces that were cool, like the, the whole like, you know, mow, mow. Like that's iconic. Right? But that was 10 minutes. Thank God. All right, so we can break the film up into three very distinct segments. You have pre-war, you have war, and then you have post-war. Despite the fact that the pre-war segment was way too long, I thought it actually did a couple things really, really well. It did a great job building tone and atmosphere to really symbolize the kind of low-life, trailer park lifestyle these guys found themselves in before they go to the war. I don't know that I would call it low-life or just more of like a working-class blue-collar I think low life comes with some stigma. Well, I'm just saying it didn't feel luxurious or even working class for that matter. It's a it steel pretty, uh, steel crummy. town, factory town in P- Pennsylvania. That's where they all worked. And that's probably all they saw up until they were sent off. I agree. I just feel like it did a good job building a believable world where you would generate these five or six or whatever alcoholic ding-dongs who were driving their cars around like maniacs. What I'm just saying is even though I didn't like the intro as a whole, the pieces were there to create a really cohesive and believable world. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. It did a job. I don't know if it did a good job. It it got me to (laughs) hate every single person. Like I didn't like anyone. (laughs) Yes, they established it. It could have been tighter. So what you're telling me is you just wanted more Twinkies dipped in mustard. I don't know what I wanted. I didn't want this. (laughs) This is not what he asked for. It was not good. Just off the top of your head, do you know how you would improve this intro from a story perspective? Or do you think you could just make it good enough by just cutting a bunch of the segments to decrease the runtime? No, you'd you'd have to make it smaller and hire someone who understood that, that music is background and dialogue is what needs to be forward. There was very little dialogue in that whole first act. But that's not what was moving it. It was just seeing the relationships. I thought I didn't really need to hear anything, I guess, except for Christopher Walken's proposal. Mind you, I did have my subtitles on. Can anyone tell me why young Christopher Walken is so hot? I wondered that too. <laughs> yeah, he's a good looker. Where <laughs> like, did what things happened? go wrong? <laughs> I think he just got weirder and weirder. All right, so we've got a few differing opinions here. So Chris, what do you think of the war segment right after the piano transition and we get right into Vietnam? Let me know your thoughts. I loved it. It was amazing. It was funny. So I haven't seen it before. You got a five-shot revolver, just start shooting, right? Like take someone out. 
Yeah, but like you only have one bullet and there's like two or three guards with machine guns. So like, what are you going to do? Yeah, so take one person out. I think the likelihood that they would add bullets is low. That was a little unbelievable. I agree. That was a little strange. Was the premise that they would play Russian roulette during the middle of a war believable? I don't know. Maybe I suspended that. So there was a little bit of controversy about this because there were conflicting reports about whether or not any Russian roulette even took place during the Vietnam War. The director seems insistent that it did take place, but the rest of the community seems to say that it did not, and the director hasn't provided any links, so your guess is as good as mine. And that's really interesting because Russian roulette plays such a huge role in this film. You see it initially here when they're imprisoned, you see it again at the hunting camp, and then again during the film's finale. And I don't really have a problem with this at all, other than it makes the wartime element of the film feel somewhat one-dimensional because it's the only element of the war that you really get to connect with as a viewer. You mean it almost made the whole movie seem kind of contrived? Hmm, it's possible. Fun fact, though, the script that eventually became Deer Hunter was originally about individuals in America who would go to Las Vegas to play Russian roulette, and it was retooled to become Deer Hunter, and that's why there's such an intrinsic reliance on Russian roulette within the film's story. Ah, so the director just had something to say. Okay, I wish I had said this before. What it seems like is they're like, I got a great idea. These guys get traumatized by Russian roulette, and then there's like a Russian roulette gambling thing. Let's do that. And then everything else around it was garbage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So basically, you just confirmed that. For sure. So it certainly wasn't some architect's brainchild. It had clearly gone through numerous revisions to get to where it is now. And I know this from experience. When you're trying to modify something or retrofit something to fit a new idea, there's always like kinks and snags that you encounter along the way where you're trying to get that perfect fit. And it never quite happens unless it's this idea brought up from the ground up, completely original for a given purpose. And to your point, Chris, uh, that's fair. I did feel like the Russian roulette really trivialized a lot of the wartime elements. So got to give it to you there. Yeah, you know what my problem was? There was no wartime. So maybe that's what I was missing was them like, maybe not a training montage, but something that got them there. They just show up in the cage, right? Like, how did they get there? You spent an hour at a fucking wedding. Give me an Indiana Jones map, right? The plane and the dots. (laughs) You got an hour of wedding and 12 minutes of jungle warfare. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel incredibly vindicated now that I've found that little nugget. I wish I had said it before you did. Can you edit it so I say it first? (laughs) (laughs) Mm, We'll see about that one. Either way, I thought this wartime section was extremely engaging. It was probably the best part of the entire film. The atmosphere was extremely tense. The acting was tremendous. And as Sarah said, it felt a little bit odd to have that be one of the only representation of the Vietnamese people. But again, we only have so much runtime, so you can't show hyper-detailed versions of everyone. The scene also has going for it the fact that it's the first like breakneck scene where there's some real stakes at hand. So that inherently is engaging. And right after this section, we transition into this amazing hospital scene where you really get to see the lasting impacts that this kind of warfare has. You've got an individual... He's just staring at his nubs in distress. The look on his face is traumatizing. This is where Nico starts to lose his mind. And we really get a picture about what the film was trying to say and what it wants to do with its message. So I agree. The whole scene in the hut was amazing. I love that part. Like that was really quite captivating. I wonder if you could do an experiment where you start the movie there in that hard cut. You could introduce the characters in five minutes then cut to that scene. And I don't think that anything would change. I think it would. I really think you need that first act to see how the characters interact with each other before they go to war, when they're juvenile, when they're carefree, and then compare that to when they get back and they really have a hard time integrating into society. Well, at least the two that made it back. 
without the first act, there's no opportunity for comparison. Yeah, they're that tight knit if he won't even give his boots to the idiot. I think that was just a learning lesson. That's a dick move, right? Yeah, I do see where Chris is coming from, though. Yeah, but at the same time, this guy is going off to war and he's taking on the responsibility of all that entails. And his friend, who he seems to have covered for multiple times, still can't remember his effing boots. Like, that's such a small problem. And it's kind of like, buddy, okay, get it together. But he's going off to war. Chris, if I forgot my boots a certain number of times, would there ever be a point where you just said, no, I'm not lending you any more boots, even if it's like 16 times? No. If it was 100 times. Jordan, if we went hunting every weekend, I'd, one time or another, I'd be like, okay, like, come on, Jordan. You're going to do it barefoot so you can learn your lesson. <laughs> not me. I'm used to having idiot friends, though. Hey, what are you trying to say about us? I need a higher standard. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it was the last trip that I was going to take before I went off to a place where I might die. I don't think that's time for a lesson in responsibility. But it might just be him coming to grasp with that, like... Oh, shit. Like, I don't know why they were staying behind. It didn't cover if they were drafted or if they were enlisted. So I'm not sure if there's any issue between them as a group there. Like, maybe he's resentful that they didn't go. I don't know why, but I, I thought I was fine with it. They're a bunch of assholes. I think that explains it. I literally have that as one of my notes. Well, they kind of are because the wedding's happening and the poor nun is trying to shoo them out of the bar and they're just like, no, we're good. Yeah, that and then they drive <laughs> to the wedding drunk, reckless, and they show up and they're sloshed. So you know what, Chris? I think I changed my mind. I'm on board with you. These guys are assholes. And so just maybe we can cut that first act. But I think they were great friends because look at how De Niro risked himself for them. Yeah, but he didn't for risk one himself for someone who forgot their boots. For both of them, he was able to get one into the plane, but he sent him off first. Even though they did make that promise where Nick was like, don't leave me behind over there. And Robert De Niro's like, oh, I won't. And, and then he, he did for like four years. <laughs> Bye. And then he went yeah. back. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. And then so right after that, Michael comes back to the U.S., and you get that scene where he's driving in with a taxi, he sees the banners, and actually decides to not go. He feels overwhelmed, and he goes to this apartment building or this hotel or whatever. And I thought that was really powerful because it humanized him. He's been on this momentous journey of development and discovery and realization, and he's not quite feeling ready to integrate himself back with his family yeah, I think that's it exactly, is that he's, he has this welcome home party, and it's welcome home for what? He's the only one out of the two other friends that went over there with him that made it back. He doesn't know where one of them is. One he knows had broken both of his legs. I don't know why you would want to celebrate that. It seemed to be more for the people that he was away from that didn't understand. I've got a question for you guys. Uh, do you think it's a dick move to wear your army uniform literally everywhere you go after you've served? It seems seems kind of weird to me. No, you don't do that. You do. You wear it on special occasions. Yeah, it felt like every scene Michael was in post-war, he was in his full getup, going to the grocery store and the bowling alley and whatnot. But it's kind of like, does he have an identity now beyond that that he identifies with? thought it showed the detachment now that he has from his former life and how casual everyone was. I thought this movie really started to pick itself up in the third act, and that's when I realized why people liked it, why people thought it was worth watching, why it had merit. Because it's not until the third act that you get to see what the film's really about. It's not about the characters, it's not about the war, it's about the disparity between what war looks like on the home front versus what war is actually like on the front lines. It's easy when you're on the home front. You just act as a patriot, you hang flags, you sing God bless America, you shop at Eagle Supermarket, you say we're the best, we're the best. Despite the fact that it was the American government that sent these soldiers off and basically ruined their lives, destroyed their psyche, 
And while we may view them as heroes, what they really are is sacrifices, political pawns being moved on a board because the people who fight the war never participate in it. These tastemakers tell us what's right and just, but is it? And that's what the movie's asking. Because even though our main characters came back, I mean, look what state they came in. Well, except for poor Nico. Uh, Michael's mentally damaged beyond repair, poor Steven has no legs, and Nico's spinning the chamber playing Russian roulette until his final days over there in Vietnam whacked out of his mind. Either way, what I'm trying to say is it's the social commentary on war that really makes this movie worth watching and is the reason why it would ever get a place on a list like this. So to say it's not political or its message isn't themed around anti-Americanism or anti-war is just really stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they just didn't want to get into trouble. And they didn't really ever say it one way or another in the movie outwardly. Like it wasn't ever discussed between the people going off whether or not they supported it or what. Yeah, yeah, and the film really isn't good until you get to this third act. It's the third act where all the pieces start to meld together and you get a picture of what the director is trying to say. And it's really what makes tolerating that first act worth your time. Yeah, like what does it mean to actually survive a war? Like, is it just because you come home? Because then I think as you saw, like, he's a totally different person. Like, I don't think any of them survive. They're totally changed from who they were. I think they could have done a better job of showing that, though. Like, it just seems so sophomoric to me. Like, this does not feel like something that should have won the Academy Award. Like, I think it won for sound, which blows my mind. I could be wrong, but I believe this is one of the first films to be mastered using Dolby technology, so it was a really big deal at the time, and the mixing process alone took five months. That being said, looking back on it from 2021, I agree with you. I don't think it stands out as anything particularly noteworthy uh, in the sound department, but then again, I haven't seen a lot of films from this era, so I don't have a lot to compare and contrast it with, but it doesn't hold up from a modern perspective. It was terrible. The gunshots didn't sound real. Nothing sounded real. There was stock footage in the fall of Saigon that was clearly grainy ass (laughs) stock footage. It was jarring. Awful. It was, yeah, I'm sorry. I just... Don't apologize, Chris. It's subjective. We're watching 100 films. There's no way you're going to like 100 out of 100 movies. You're not going to love all of them. It's so... But they just... It's held on such a pedestal and it was bad. It was not a good movie. It had good bits in it. You can tease out a message, but there's probably 100 movies that do a better job of doing the message that they were trying to get across. That's what I was wondering. Has there been other big movies that have dealt with post-war uh, I haven't seen or I've only seen parts of it, but there's one with Tom Cruise called Born on the Fourth of July, which I think the bulk of it takes place after he's back. Ah, uh, okay. They were more recent. But this might have been an earlier one to show the effects. Like the Vietnam one would have just ended a couple years before this came out. Hey listeners, hop in those YouTube comments and let us know if you can think of any films dealing with post-war trauma and you can let us know. We'd be happy to check them out and compare and contrast. Please. I need something to clean. Yeah. (laughs) I need something to clean my palate from this. I don't know if I was in a... Well, no, because I'm in a good mood today and I still fucking hate it. Well, I know I didn't say the film was particularly about its characters, but were there any characters that stood out to you as really well done or well acted or any characters you thought were really awful? I loved Christopher Walken in and I thought he was awesome. I thought everybody actually did a really good job. I don't know if there's anyone who I would dislike. I thought they were all great. I also thought the acting was pretty top-notch from all of the actors, but my favorite has to be Steven, played by Robert De Niro. I felt like it was really easy to connect with him. He felt like a human being. I could empathize with him. A lot of the other characters felt somewhat archetypal or exaggerated, specifically referring to Nico in the last scene, where I felt like it was played up a little bit. 
Uh, I thought that when Nico dies, Mike's reaction was terrible. Didn't feel genuine. So I wondered this too, because I thought I get that he shot himself in the head, but the amount that he was shaking him to wake up, I was like, that can't be good if he had any hope of surviving that bullet <laughs> yeah. to the head. <laughs> He's just reefing on him. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was a little bit overacted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I did like how that was bookended to the scene where they were in the hut and he's like Nick just do it just do it and then at the end it's the two of them again it's like don't do it don't do it (laughs) and he did it both times yeah and I had a hard time believing that Nick would have lasted that long as a heroin addict in Saigon heroin addict in Saigon who makes his money by playing Russian roulette that seems like a recipe for a three-week career yeah And I'm supposed to believe he can remember where to send Stephen $100 bills, but not Michael's face. Mm, True. So yeah, he remembers Stephen. Yeah, and I don't think heroin makes you forget people. It just seems like the creators are picking and choosing for plot convenience. Yeah, more to my point. I googled our list, and so the other Vietnam War movie I know is Apocalypse Now, and that is actually number 17 on our list, so we'll have a good comparison. My wife is very much looking forward to that one. That's one of her favorite movies. She's got a long way to go. If we're done talking about those silly secondary characters, I have a fun fact for you. So the stag in the second deer hunting trip that Michael lets escape was later used in TV commercials for the Connecticut Life Insurance Company. So right behind Bambi, this might be one of the most famous deer in cinema history. Wow, he got a second job. (laughs) Well, as this deer, if you've got an Academy Award winning film on your resume, that's pretty good. (laughs) That deer wasn't just a wild deer? No. Wait a second. Did they not actually do any real deer hunting? He's an actor. He better be in the credits for this. I feel bad for the first deer. They brought it on set, and apparently they shot it with a tranquilizer dart to simulate them shooting it. That doesn't feel very good. Like, were you surprised that he didn't shoot that deer? No, because that kind of shows his growth as an individual. He's more critical. He's more introspective. And this is how the filmmakers are showing that his view on life and the meaning of a life is different. If you don't count the fact that he played three-bullet Russian roulette two weeks ago in Saigon. Precisely. And I know we're beating a dead horse here with the Russian roulette thing, but was that scene in the cabin not extremely jarring when Michael forces the other people to play Russian roulette with him? I had to watch a lot of it like this. Just the suspense. I didn't want to see anything for any Uh, of the Russian roulette scenes. Feel free to disagree with me, but I think Russian roulette in films is a really cheap way to generate suspense because it's inherently supposed to be random, but it's not actually random because the creators get to pick what happens the entire time. And so it doesn't really feel like it earned the payoff. Anyway, before we wrap the show up, does anyone have any favorite moments from the film they want to bring up? There was nothing. It was garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sorry. It's not my favorite moment in the film, but one I thought was really funny. When the guy shows his buddy, he can kick the trunk to get it open. And so his buddy walks up and tries to kick it about 16 times and can't get it. I thought that was a good gag. And when they were at the bay and they were pretending to drive away without their buddy, like three or four times, I thought that was funny. I laughed. We used to do that to each other all the time in high school. I've been the guy left. I just <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> all right, Chris, where are you going to put Deer Hunter on your list of favorite films that we've seen so far? What are you going to put below it? What's going to be below it? Nothing. <gasps> yep. You'd watch Seven Samurai again over this? Yep. <sighs> Seven Samurai is definitively better than The Deer Hunter. This is bottom of my list. I'm sorry. That's just wrong. I hate it. I hated it. I hated <laughs> it so much. All right, Sarah. Well, after such a scathing review, I'm excited to see where you're going to put Deer Hunter. I'm putting it in place four. So it is above Seven Samurai for me and 
I've now swapped Dr. Zhivago and Bonnie and Clyde, so it's between Bonnie and Clyde and Seven Samurai in my fourth place out of six. Interesting. I'm actually going to slot this one in at number four. I think Reservoir Dogs is a better film, but I think Pan's Labyrinth and Seventh Samurai are below it. And I certainly don't think it's as bad as you're saying, Chris. The message of the film and the production value was good enough that I certainly don't feel like I wasted three hours of my time. I did. (laughs) I wanted it to be over after like 45 minutes. (laughs) I wonder if it was just like the raw format of it that was groundbreaking at the time and that's why it rates so highly or... Because this list was done in 2014, so it's relatively recent. So you have for it to still be up there. I think that some of these, they forgot what they were actually about and just said, we should put Deer Hunter somewhere. Chris, would you have liked this film better if instead it was called Crack and Open a Cold One with the Boys? Tell me that wasn't the other name for it. No, 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 no. It's the name I thought it should have had after watching the first half. (laughs) The working title. No, that would have helped. (laughs) I watched True Romance on the weekend and they mentioned The Deer Hunter and Clarence mentions that it's one of the only accurate Vietnam War movies that he's seen besides Apocalypse Now. I wonder how much Russian roulette he played when he was off in Nam. Has this director done anything else that's noteworthy? I googled this and no, apparently his next movie after this was a complete disaster and he lost all credibility. Weird. It's almost like he was not surprised. Who could have foreseen this? I don't understand. (laughs) Blackmail to get this one made. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for joining me for episode seven of Popcorn Peeps. Chris, can you let the audience know what we will be talking about in the next episode? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And where can our audience check that out before the next episode? You can rent it on Apple TV, Cineplex, or Microsoft. And if you're really committed, you can buy it on YouTube or Google Play. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Bye. Este episodio de Amigos de las Palomitas de Maíz es traído a ustedes gracias a TechOps. ¿Estás buscando información sobre tecnología y seguridad en español? No dudes más y suscríbete a nuestro canal de YouTube. TechOps. Noticias, tecnología y seguridad.